So here we are again. Maybe, maybe this is starting to feel quite familiar. This flow of the days, this unfolding of the of the teachings. I find this um, part of a retreat very beautiful. I call this being in the heart of the retreat and kind of in the centre of this time together. And so, you know, perhaps we can take time to just feel that and um, to open to it, you know, what that means. And along with the heart of the retreat, we'll continue to unfold, you know, the teachings. Um, I really touch on today what we've already been touching on, but perhaps a little bit more. The heart of the Buddha's teachings, you know, dukkha and freedom from dukkha. That's a pretty well-known one-liner, yeah. Or two liners from the Buddha, and I teach dukkha and the ending of dukkha. So all of that teaching, all those 40 years <laughs> of teaching in, in a couple of, of lines. And so what I'd like to touch on, to explore today is really this um, exploration of dukkha as something that is fabricated. And we've said this quite a few times, you know, all experience is fabricated. And this is really, really important for us as human beings to understand, to reflect on, and to apply. And so, why is it significant? You know, because it opens up possibilities. And we've been using this word dukkha and we've touched a few times on its meanings. Yeah. There's another one of these Pali words that's got meanings. <laughs> Often translated as suffering, but, you know, that's so not enough. You know. Dukkha as this, you know, dissatisfactory nature of things that are conditioned and change and are fabricated, mm-hmm. which is everything. <laughs> mm-hmm. So this whole range, you know, of, you know, both the discomforts and the pains and the suffering of our lives, yeah, both the inevitable dukkha of just having a a human body, having a human heart and mind. The body gets injured. It gets sick. It gets older. We can't avoid that. It's inevitable. We experience a loss. We experience separation. We get what we don't want then we lose what we cherish, you know, this is all of this. It's part of the human condition, it's part of being human. And it's really, really helpful to know that, to acknowledge that, to reflect on that. Mm -hmm. 
and also to reflect that um, this is not the whole story. Yeah. So the things that happen to our body, to our um, to our heart, to our mind, you know, they're not. Um, they don't necessarily define the degree of suffering or well-being in our experience. Yeah. Really important, and you know, one of of our teachers um, was a social activist in, in India called Baba Amte. He himself um, had a lot of physical pain, yeah, very difficult condition in his spine, which um, for the last decades of his life, he couldn't bend his spine, he couldn't sit, he could only stand or lie down. He got older, he lived into his 90s, he couldn't stand anymore, he could only lie down. And I have this memory of him uh, lying in his bed in his room and looking out on the leprosy community that he had founded, uh, 5,000 people lived there, and saying, you know, telling us how happy he was. Yeah. how happy he was and that he was he, he could die happy at any moment because around him was happiness that he had contributed towards yeah. great teaching so the body in a lot of pain and discomfort but that not defining yeah, not defining the experience the degree of suffering in the experience necessarily and I think, you know, we've probably all come across, I have quite a few friends and students that work or volunteer in hospices, you know, often also, not always. But many times, you know, when everything drops away, you know, and struggle with the fact that we're going to die, <laughs> yeah, and that struggle is let go of, there's a lot of love that remains. So the, that, that sense, I'm giving quite extreme examples, but actually we all know this also. The degree of suffering in our experience, yeah, or the well-being in our experience, is not defined just by what happens. How we relate to experience has an impact on the degree of well-being or ill-being in it. That's another Thich Nhat Hanh, we're in a Thich Nhat Hanh day quote. He, he translates dukkha as ill-being. Yeah, ill-being. And this is what we're talking about when we speak about fabrication yeah, to, to a great degree. Yeah. So fabrication is a translation of this Pali word sankara, which is also, uh, can be translated as concoction or construction. And it really points towards the way, you know, phenomena, appearances, experience come together, made up of conditions, you know, not independent. You know, so it's not just this pain or this illness or this difficulty. It's other factors that are coming in that impact how that is perceived, how that is experienced. And as I said a couple of days ago, this includes the mind, yeah. includes the mind. The mind impacts what we perceive, how we perceive, what we experience. It plays a part in any moment of fabrication, which means in any moment, yeah, in any experience.
So I think most of us are familiar, you know, with the Buddha's Four Noble Truths. That's kind of the kind of little synopsis, one of the little synopsises of his teachings, um, where he, you know, he shares with us, you know, that in life there is dukkha. That's kind of what I was saying earlier. We cannot escape having a body, heart, and mind. We cannot escape. Yeah. Physical pain and separation and loss, you know, things like that. We cannot escape that. So in life there is dukkha. And yet, dukkha co-arises, yeah? It arises together with something else, yeah? Arises together with something else. It arises with tanha. Nathan was using this word a little bit. Usually translated as craving. And we like to translate it as demanding of experience. It's actually Nathan. I just copy him. Give him the credit for a change. So dukkha, this is the second truth. Dukkha co-arises. When there's dukkha, it co-arises with tanha. There's tanha. There's this craving or demanding. And then remember, dukkha and the ending of dukkha. So the third truth is there is a path. There is a path that leads to adukkha, the opposite of dukkha, to well-being, to freedom. And the Buddha offers us this path, and this is what we're doing here, right? These are the teachings, these are the practices that we're exploring. And so I want to highlight a few things from what I've just said, from these four noble truths. Uh, for, the, for this talk, for this retreat. Um, one is really seeing dukkha as an arising in the human condition. And this in itself has a lot of freedom because we can see it as something less personal. You know, what happens if I see it as pain rather than my pain? Yeah. Now this, these are things to explore. As I said, before, you know, explore, don't just believe me, even when I'm quoting the Buddha, you know, don't just believe him either, you know, explore for yourself. So dukkha as an arising within the human condition, less personal, this is one thing that can be really helpful. The second, um, and this is not always how this is translated, so often the second truth is translated as cause and effect, yeah? That tanha is the cause of dukkha. But actually, what the Buddha is saying, it co-arises, it arises together. Yeah. Dukkha and tanha, dukkha and demanding craving arise together. Yeah. It's not a linear process, yeah. but two things that arise together, come together. When one is there, the other is there. And so for me, this is, you know, this is one of the big gateways to freedom. Mm. Seeing, you know, dukkha is fabricated. Dukkha is sankara. It's fabricated. It co-arises with other conditions. It's shaped by other conditions, including the mind and its habits and its ways of looking. 
which means to me it's not a done deal. Yeah? It's not a done deal. Not fixed, not permanent, not, not destined. Yeah. Something we can attend to and engage with. And so a little bit kind of opening out this process of fabrication, and particularly fabrication of dukkha. Um, and today, you know, we touched on this theme of the Vedana, you know, this categorization, which is such an important building block of our experience, and particularly of dukkha. And so let's just kind of run through how this can unfold in our experience. I'm having, I'm going to speak about an unpleasant sound, but I'm just getting a pleasant sound that's raining outside, which over here in Israel is uh, always a pleasant sound for me. (laughs) So, let's have an example. So say we're sitting in meditation and there's an unpleasant sound coming from our neighbors or from our housemates or from somewhere. And so the sound arises, there's contact between the sound and the ear. Sound is being heard, the hearing sense. With that contact comes the Vedana, very quickly, very unconsciously, of unpleasant. And very quickly that unpleasant becomes, you know, it's usually in relation to me. So unpleasant for me. Unpleasant to me. When something is unpleasant to me, it usually doesn't stop there. (laughs) It might be that I don't like it. I don't want it. I can't stand it. I must get rid of it. You know, can you see the escalation as I'm speaking? This is what happens in my mind. Check what happens in yours. Yeah. And the escalation. I need to get rid of it. It is ruining my meditation. Yeah. And if I want to get really ridiculous, it's totally getting in the way of my awakening. That sound right now. Yeah. Completely. So all of these, yeah, from unpleasant to unpleasant to me, yeah, Unple- to I don't like it, I don't want it, I can't stand it, you know, this escalation, all of these are forms of increased demand, yeah, of tanha. Mm-hmm. Needing things to go my way, yeah, and really fixating on that, you know, fixating on that, so our whole space, our whole world gets really narrow around it. And the same thing could happen with... Um, a body sensation, a sight, a smell, um, a taste, and also mental phenomena, thoughts, moods. So we can see, or maybe we're beginning to see, that our habitual way of relating to what's unpleasant is aversion, resistance, we touched on it yesterday, pushing away, this is all forms of tanha, forms of um, demanding, and it actually builds dukkha, yeah, builds dukkha, 
builds tanha, builds the sense of self. Yeah, three of them come together. Yeah, three of them arise together. Yeah, it's all about me. And so what we've been exploring, yeah, and the question we can continue to explore in this retreat, is what happens when I see this is the habit, yeah, and I bring in a different way. I cultivate a different way of looking and relating. What happens if, as we were doing today, I just see the unpleasant as unpleasant, or I even bring metta to it? Just unpleasant. What happens if I use the breath, yeah, say it's a, you know, body or mental state, and I use the breath to soothe, yeah, or to kind of bathe, you know, meet, you know, come into contact with the breath, through the breath, with that unpleasant uh, body sensation or sound being received in awareness or emotion. So what happens? I think what we've been seeing, and hopefully beginning to see this, is we see that how we attend and how we pay attention, how we relate, impacts the degree of dukkha in experience. Impacts the degree of suffering in experience, in this case. Impacts the degree of suffering, of ill-being. So if we go back to that simile the Buddha used of the arrows, that first arrow, the unpleasant sound, the unpleasant sensation, the unpleasant smell, whatever it was. And what happens when I don't shoot more arrows? I don't add more arrows? So we know this, yeah? We know this in our experience. If, for example, I'm meditating and restlessness arises, there's restlessness, and I begin to panic. How am I going to deal with this restlessness? (laughs) It's a very natural response. Or worry, or try to get rid of it. Stop. The degree of suffering grows. Does this make sense to people? Have you seen this? Yeah. The degree of suffering grows. If I bring a different way of relating, metta, or shifting attention to the pleasant, or to the breath, the degree of suffering will usually lessen. Have you seen this? Yeah. Some people have. Yeah. This doesn't mean that, you know, we have this, you know, box of tricks now and everything in our experience will become pleasant, you know. It just unpleasantness comes and we just, you know, we've got our, we've got our, our way of, of, kind of getting rid of it. You know? It doesn't mean that everything will become pleasant and that we'll no longer experience discomfort. This is really important. You know, I'm saying it with humor because, you know, 
God, we need humor in this life. <laughs> but, um, you know, really, really important. Doesn't mean everything becomes pleasant. Doesn't mean we no longer experience discomfort. You know, the Buddha had back pain. It's in the suttas. Yeah. Even when he was awakened, even after decades of practice, he had back pain. Sometimes he had to go and lie down in his hut. Yeah. Because he wasn't feeling well. Yeah. It doesn't mean that we no longer experience discomfort. But it, that distinction yeah, between, you know, we experience the unpleasant, we experience discomfort, and yet the degree of suffering, yeah, degree of suffering is not the same. Yeah. So there can be pain in the body, and yet the degree of suffering is not the, not the same if we're not pushing it away, if we're relating to it skillfully. And so again, this is, you know, so crucial for us. First of all, you know, to really say, you know, it doesn't mean that, that we don't experience pain and that, you know, it doesn't hurt and it doesn't overwhelm us sometimes. Yeah. And yet we remember there's something, there's something we can do, yeah. at least some of the time. And we develop that skill and becomes more and more accessible to us. Because the degree of suffering in the experience is fluid and changeable. Yeah. And again, we know this. Yeah. Anyone here do yoga? And, uh, yeah, quite a few of us. Um, so, you know, when you do yoga and you do a stretch, does it hurt sometimes? Yeah. Is there any suffering? No. Does it actually feel good? Yeah. Yeah. So the way we relate, yeah, the way we relate has an impact. Yeah. So the degree of suffering in the experience is fluid and changeable. Yeah. So there can be discomfort, there, be, there can be pain with less sense of problem or even without sense of problem yeah. with less or without suffering in that experience and all of this yeah i'm saying all of this and another caveat also doesn't mean that we don't look after the body and the heart and the mind yeah it's not oh it's all just in the way i relate <laughs> i don't need to listen to the body i don't need to care for this or that yeah. No, we absolutely need to care. Yeah, this is our vehicle. This is our, our responsibility. Yeah, have a responsibility for our bodies, each of us, our hearts and minds. Yeah, really, I, I put a note here in bold, make sure this is heard. <laughs> yeah. Make sure this is heard. We need to look after our bodies, our hearts and our minds, yeah. our responsibility. We just remember there's a bigger picture. You know, there's looking after the body, the heart, the mind. Yeah. And there's the remembering, yeah. There's a range here of possible responses. There's a range here of ways of relating that we can explore. Yeah. It's much larger than we usually think.
So dukkha, yeah, dukkha is sankara, it's fabricated. And of course, yeah, when there's dukkha in the form of suffering or any other form, it also fabricates. Yeah, also fabricates like everything else. So everything is conditioned and also conditioning. So we can think about it, you know, when there's a real sense of, of built up suffering. Yeah. Like this sound is going to get in the way of my awakening. The whole world contracts, the whole view of life becomes limited. We forget our possibilities and we're immersed in that. Yeah, sometimes we get really caught up in what caused this, you know, and how can I get rid of this, of this sound, of this body sensation. And the more the space contracts, the more the space gets limited and small. Yeah, we've been talking about this a lot. The dukkha actually amplifies, the suffering amplifies. There's less space, it becomes louder. Yeah, it becomes louder. And these are cycles that feed each other. There's a great story that um, Sharon Salzberg uh, tells. Um, as many of you might know, she's the kind of the, I think, the first teacher that really brought meta meditation to the West and, and really kind of created its, its place um, in, in the insight tradition. And so she tells this story about. Um, you know, having a lot of physical pain in her um, first, uh, in her early retreats, in the first years of doing retreats, and how sometimes she would find that, you know, she'd spend a whole retreat planning um, what she was going to do to get rid of that pain so that, you know, her next retreat could be better. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, she'd go on this yoga retreat and she'd do this many yoga hours of yoga a day and she'd like change her diet and whatever you know whole stories you know around that whole stories around that and then kind of waking up once in a while and think oh god what am I doing <laughs> you know, where am I yeah, and of course during those stories the, the, the physical pain you don't feel it anymore this is also very interesting <laughs> it's part of why we go there you know the distraction But actually, the dukkha perpetuated. Yeah. The dukkha perpetuated because of these habits of aversion and distraction. Not working directly with what is going on in her experience, but running away from it. So, another um, important point here. I hope I'm not going too fast. Am I going too fast? No. I'm covering a lot of ground. I'm going faster than I thought I would. Okay, well, people on this screen say I'm not going too fast. Let's go to the second screen. Am I going too fast, guys? You don't know which screen you're on, so you just have to tell me. No. All right. Trust you. So really important to say, suffering doesn't only arise in relation to the unpleasant. <laughs> it's so important to say. I almost missed that when I was making notes for this. Eventually I noticed. My mother listened to one of my talks once. This is a long time ago. 
and uh, she said to me afterwards, said, yeah, it, it was good, you know, it was great, but, you know, why, why do you concentrate on the, on the negative all the time? Mm-hmm. I was kind of looking at her and I said, I wonder why. Love her to bits. I do. One of my inspirations. So I almost missed saying this, and it's really important. Dukkha doesn't only happen in relation to the unpleasant. Um, Our habitual ways uh, of relating to the pleasant are are (laughs) not much better. We we try to hold on to things. Um, We pull them towards us. We kind of really try to, to get you know, what we perceive as pleasant. And these are also forms of tanha, of course. They're all forms of craving and demanding. So sometimes um, we use this language that Rob used or uses in his teachings. Yeah. The push-pull. Yeah. So looking at tanha as this push-pull. Yeah, the pushing away of things, the pulling towards us. And, and when we think about it in that way, we see it's actually the same movement. So it doesn't matter yeah. if it's pleasant or unpleasant. Yeah. The ways we relate to it, our habitual ways of relating, tend to be this push-pull, which, guess what? <laughs> brings suffering. Yeah. Brings suffering. And so these teachings of the Buddha, yeah. teaching the Buddha, and particularly this teaching um, that, that he called dependent arising or dependent um, origination, seeing yeah, how things arise together yeah, and are dependent on other things. Yeah. These teachings offer us a way out. Yeah. I use this in the question and response today, um, I, I, I use this image of um, you know the teachings offering us a get out of jail card, you know, like in Monopoly, and especially Vedana practice for me. Yeah. So they offer us, yeah, they offer us more possibilities. They offer us a way out. They remind us that we can wake up. We can untangle, disentangle. They remind us. We can, um, if there's suffering, if there's dukkha, we can defabricate, unfabricate. And we can also cultivate ways of relating that fabricate less ill-being, less suffering. We can cultivate ways of relating that fabricate less ill-being. And that's what we're doing here. You know, Vedana fabricates less. We go back to that original example of all those building blocks, yeah, right one on top of the other. When we notice the Vedana, we're much less likely to get into that. Much less likely. Meta. Yeah. We'll come back to that in a moment. The pleasant, the nourishing, the soothing breath. 
fabricates less dukkha. They're all practices, they're all ways of relating that we can apply, that we can engage towards our experience. As we deepen in metta practice in particular, then less dukkha is fabricated. Less suffering is fabricated with metta. And this goes back to that second noble truth. When there is dukkha, there is tanha. When there is dukkha, there is... um, Demanding. When there's suffering, there's demanding of experience, there's craving, there's clinging, all these words that the Buddha used. So when there's dukkha, there's tanha, and when there's tanha, there's dukkha. They arise together. Yeah, they arise together. When one goes down, the others go down. Yeah, depend on each other. And what does metta do? Metta reduces the tanha in particular. And then when there's less tanha, there's less dukkha. There's less dukkha here in the in the sense of suffering. So if tanha goes down, dukkha goes down. If dukkha goes down, tanha goes down. And along with them, this self-centered, narrow view. It's about me. Yeah, it's about me. And of course, metta also goes directly to that. So these three mutually arising. Mutually arising together, supporting each other. And again, explore for yourself. Yeah. Explore for yourself. Reflect. Yeah. When you've had some metta present. Yeah. On this retreat, in your life, how loud was the sense of self? Yeah. How strong was the sense of demand? And this is what we're learning again and again and again, and we need to see this, yeah. It's not enough to see it once. I was going to say sadly, but actually, (laughs) you know, no, you know, it's so, um, you know, this is so worth living for, you know. Just these moments when we see this, when we touch this, when we're touched by it, yeah. And we can get a sense of the possibilities here. When metta is present to any degree, how does it impact tanha? How does it impact demand and craving? Push and pull. How narrow and limited is the self-sense? So the question for us is, can we continue to practice in ways, in ways that bring freedom? Which means, can we continue to practice in ways that relax and ease 
craving, that relax and ease suffering dukkha. That is the question. And that's the possibility that we're exploring here together. And so, Romero told us yesterday that Nathan left you with a cliffhanger for the Vedana practice. And so I can't resist. I don't know if I'll do such a good job. Tomorrow, (laughs) we'll be looking at this. We're already doing it, but we're going to bring in more possibilities. Going directly to the tanha, to the push and pull and seeing what's possible, what's possible there. So surprisingly, that's what I had to say for today. Let's have a few quiet moments together to bring this to a close. So may we continue to explore and to deepen our understanding of dukkha and the ending of dukkha so that our practice can be of benefit to all beings, to all beings everywhere, including ourselves. So thank you for your listening and for your presence. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.